Holy censorship or mistranslation, welcome to the Priceless Podcast. I first published it in Spanish, incidentally, um, in 2011. That's, that's a whole story about that, but that came out in 2011 where some part of my material on Sodom and Gomorrah was included. And then in 2013, I was finally able to publish in English, um, where some chapters also definitely are based on my PhD thesis on Sodom and Gomorrah, but it includes a lot of other texts as well. So, and then uh, you may ask, uh, well, when, then why publish another book in English if you already have dealt with a lot of this stuff in your previous work? Well, there are two reasons for this. Um, a, as you can see, uh, Love Lost in Translations is quite a respectable book. Uh, and uh, weighty too, right? It's quite a tome, as some people say. And I agree with them. Um, and uh, so came the idea of producing a much shorter book. And, and this the book that came out of it eventually and, and was published last year is less than half uh, of this one and weighs much less than half to it. It's a very easy, handy book. And so very attractive, actually, incidentally, a good design too. So and it, it has uh, become a success, quite a success uh, compared with the previous one, which has been well received, but you know, sales have been slow. I also added a few subjects that were not covered in my previous work. And I've maybe also taken one or two chapters out that I no longer feel perhaps are so relevant. The first book, Love Lost in Translation, is very helpful for those who really want to know about details. You know, people who are patient and who, who love, you know, to digging in deeply into a text and wh what are the words used here and how do they relate to each other. That's where I, this, this book comes in very well because I have lots of stuff uh, and discussing a translation techniques even. So for people who are interested in that kind of that aspect, uh, this is a great book. And this also gives you some insight, but it's much shorter. So it, so it, it's more accessible to, I would say, to a wider public. Well, the mistranslations begin really early. Um, but one that is particularly egregious, if I may use that word, is in chapter 2 uh, of Genesis, where you have the famous story of the human being who's feeling lonely. And the creator says, watches this and says, it's not good for the human being to be alone. This human being is undefined in terms of gender, which many people have, don't realize. But at this point in the story, Hebrew story, this human being is an it. It's not he or she, or it's both. And this is then where the uh, Adam is lulled to sleep and the creator according to translators, takes a rib out and creates a woman from, from that one bone. And sure enough, if you read the Hebrew carefully, you can see there is no word meaning rib in that story at all. Uh, the word that is there actually is used in many different places uh, throughout the Hebrew scriptures, and it means usually a side. The Creator took one side from the Adam and made it into a woman, leaving the other side male. So now you have the two sides separate, 
But yet the mistake remains there. After all these centuries, most translators today, I would say 90 plus percent, are still putting rib in that place, even if there is no word meaning rib, because the only word is there means side. I'm seeing that the people who have been translating these texts over the many years, over the centuries, aren't even aware to what extent they have been exercising censorship, but it is censorship. And because they have been raised in a male-centered culture, where male is king, so to speak, and women, female, is inferior. And if you actually, if you read the, the church fathers, we're now back in the third, fourth centuries, more or less, read them and the way they interpret the story and what they write about women, you will be horrified. It's misogynous, and they are quoting Aristoteles and other Greek philosophers who are very misogynistic. So that misogyny became part of Christianity through the Church Fathers. But the misogyny came in later with the Church Fathers, who actually looked down, despised women. And I have come to realize in my work that the Church Fathers, they are present at the table whenever people today are sitting down to study the Bible. They are the invisible presence there in the room. If I'm asked, for example, if somebody comes along and say, we are preparing a new Bible translation, okay, and would, would you like to help us? And would you translate Leviticus for us, right? What would I say in that verse? That's basically what your question is, right? I think I will try to be as literal as possible because I don't really know what it means. That means I should not move away from the text. I should stay close to it and leave whatever doubt, whatever uh, uncertainty I have, leave that with the reader because it's with me. So how can I make the reader certain about something I'm not certain about? And place a little footnote at the bottom of the page saying the text is unclear. But I think from this particular book, um, it has some surprises for you. My point, you know, is going beyond the translations we all have sitting on ourselves somewhere, going beyond those and actually going to the, the, the sources, right? Because we've been told over and over, you and me and many others, that, oh, the Bible is very, very strict about same-sex relationships. It's the worst thing probably because it's against nature and it's against God's will and blah, 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 and all that stuff. That's not what is there at all. One, one half of it, say, is based on the things that you don't need to fear from the Bible. We've been taught to fear and you don't have to. That's what I'm documenting here. And the other side is all the good stuff you'll find in there too, that we have not, we have forgotten about or we've not even been taught to see because we've always been, you know, focusing on the wrong texts. So but all the good texts that are there, and I'm not, what do I mention, mean by that? Well, I mean, for example, the four love stories. Okay, for strong love stories that are being celebrated. I mean, celebrated in the Bible, okay? You have the story of two women in the book of Ruth whose story is celebrated. You have a story of two males, Jonathan and David. Both of them, one is married when their relationship begins and the other one marries eventually. 
and we don't know whether or not that is uh, there's anything sexual there, but because the narrator is not particularly he's not concerned about it. But there's a very strong uh, affectionate bonding going on between these two males. And you go to the New Testament, it's often said that Jesus had nothing to say about homosexuality. So why should you? So, you know, it's even used as an argument against those who use the Bible in a fundamentalistic fashion to, to bash us on our heads, right? But I'm not so sure that he didn't. He talks, for example, in, in, in the Gospel of Matthew about the eunuchs, and he, he classifies them in three different ways, there are three groups of eunuchs. And I feel comfortable, I think I fit into at least one of those categories very well. And the other thing is a story about the, the other story is about the um, Roman centurion who is desperate because his boy is severely ill and in pain and he has probably been seeing all the doctors in the area and nobody has helped him. And, the, and this is where you find the story of the beloved disciple. And his name is probably not John, because as I said, there's nothing in the gospel, in in that particular gospel indicating that John has anything to do with the beloved disciple. I bring in a different name uh, because I analyze the story and who's the most likely candidate according to the evidence. Well, his name is not John, but Lazarus. I think it's probably the most spectacular miracle of all that are happening in, 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 in the New Testament. Three times in that in that same chapter 11, it's mentioned that Jesus loves him. So what I'm saying is, what more do you want when we talk about the beloved disciple? And maybe this is another theory of mine. It's a theory because we'll never know. Maybe the gospel was written by Lazarus himself. And this is what I also the Bible has done for me, having, you know, faced all my demons in the stories that have been used against me. I can now lay those demons to rest because they are not real and I know their names and I can face them and they have no power over me anymore. Christianity is basically mounted. Much of its, most of its doctrines are, are based on translations into Greek first and then into Latin because Christianity for centuries lost all touch with Hebrew. That was for Jews not for good Christians. We would read it in Latin or Greek. But the Bible is just full of such interesting and even contradictory passages, which I also love because life itself is like that. But that's part of also the our struggle in life. We have to face our own contradictions and see how we can make, try, try to find some unity even within ourselves and our own contradictory tendencies and desires and wishes and dreams and what have you. One thing I have learned from from some Jewish theologians is, um, or at least one, one of the principles that some of them practice is um, God loves our questions. And that's precisely the opposite of the fundamentalistic approach. We've got all the answers right here. It's in the Bible where they, they start at the other end of the spectrum, say, no, God loves to hear our questions because then we can work our way to find an answer. When, when, you, when you read those very devout uh, Jewish rabbis uh, who have spent a lot of time trying to understand and interpret the Bible, there's a humility there uh, in them. 
vis-a-vis the text. I remember reading about, I can't remember in what century this was, but you know, a long time ago, where a group of rabbis would meet on a regular basis to study the Bible together. And the way they would do it is they would have one of them would read the text out loud. And then there would be a little silence, and then they would go around the table, and each person would speak the words or speak um, about how they felt during this reading. What was the message coming to them from that text? And you would always hear different messages coming through. And I think that's fantastic. Thank you, Renato, so much. We will, of course, uh, put the links where you can buy the book or even the other books uh, in the podcast description below. Thank you all for being with us. Uh, I hope you enjoyed this. Uh, As mentioned in the beginning, this podcast is made in partnership with the European Forum of LGBT Christian Groups. More about Renato links if you would like to find out about his personal life and how it was for him him to come out and accept himself you will find out in some of the next podcasts so uh, keep looking out for for this podcast uh, to get to know him a little bit more until then i say thank you thank you all of you who are supporting this podcast and thank you renato again for being with us um, so uh, from Me, this is it. And uh, all I can say, see you next time. Bye, everyone. And bye, Renato. Thank you very much, Michael. It's been a pleasure.